Welcome to the Polymer Science Podcast. I am Dr. Alicia Buetes. And I'm Jacob Shackman. In this podcast, we'll be speaking to researchers from around the world and talk to them about how their work is improving our daily lives. I hope you enjoy our conversation and that you learn something new. Today we are speaking to Hayden Creel. He graduated in Stellenbosch University with a cum laude in polymer science for his master's thesis, where he specialized in electric spinning and textiles. My excitement will be clearly heard during the conversation. I really tried to keep it cool, but it was amazing to speak to a fellow electric spinning and nanomaterial enthusiast who had so much experience and skill in the polymer science field. We also talked about his new role at the Nordic Biotech Group and the research that he's doing on the multi-purpose product called Nordshield. Nordshield won the Sustainable Healthcare Innovation Award in 2019 and is really a unique product. It is extremely versatile, natural, non-toxic and effective against bacteria, fungi and viruses. It was an honor to talk to Hayden about his work, but also his life in general and the amazing research he is doing in Finland to promote sustainable healthcare. Please remember to subscribe and share this episode if you enjoyed it. And thanks again for your support. I really appreciate it. So I just want to welcome you to the Polymer Science Podcast, officially. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and really, really thank you for just putting aside some time to talk to me about the work that you do. And um, on a Sunday, no less, it's really, really kind of you. No, it's a, <laughs> thank you for inviting me. It's, a, it's an honor to be considered, so, wow. so it's really great. Thank yeah. you. You have a lot of background on specializing in nanofibers and electric spinning, um, which is, like I think most people know by now, one of the passions that I um, love to speak about on the podcast. Um, but I want to hear from you, how did you get into polymer science and specifically go into nanomaterials and textiles and electric spinning? Sure. So I was in the first group of students to embark on this four-year course called BSc in Polymer and Textile Science. And um, this was the brainchild of Edin Gerica at the Department of Chemistry Polymer Science at Stellenbosch University. Um, and in, the, in my third year, um, we had these applied uh, chemistry courses, which is essentially polymer science. And um, I think it was really inspired by those classes where... Uh, I met not only lecturers, but students that inspired me. Uh, so I think that the, the choice was mainly motivated. It, it sounds almost childish, but you know, when you're in school, your favorite teacher <laughs> uh, inspired you, but it was really like that. So I had a, a dean who was very supportive and motivational throughout uh, all my studies. Um, I would say, you know, my, my favorite professor of all time was Prof Mellon. He, he really made polymer science tangible and accessible, now the, the department head. Um, and, and also, uh, Ron Sanderson, he was my, my supervisor. Um, he, he gave us some un- undergrad uh, special topics lectures. He was also uh, just made it really, uh, polymer science really fun. Um, and then I think the, the most influential person was probably uh, Eugene Smith, who's the founder and CEO of Stellenbosch Nanofiber Company. So some, sometime at the, the end of my BSc, I was kind of a bit a loss for should I continue studying or not. Uh, so uh, I kind of approached a number of people looking for mentor, mentors to, to you know, uh, help me. Mm-hmm. And it was really him uh, that, that kind of came to me and uh, he said, well, you know, he's happy to talk 
through this you know pros and cons and he said why don't i spend a, a summer uh, in his lab so so really it was one of these small little rooms lost in somewhere in the the annex of first year chemistry building <laughs> um and we really spent the summer like inventing things cutting things out of plastics drilling pop riveting um charging things up with electricity and seeing what happens and then also doing fundamental research and it was just a really cool experience and i think he kind of taught me that the love of uh inventing r&d um and it just so happened to be in the nano the nano space uh, nanotech is very cool uh, lots of interesting things happen things happen but i think if you if you can invent uh in any field i think it would be interesting uh, i think polymer science and nanomaterials just gives you a nice um platform and loads of opportunities to mm. do that so um it was really Eugene that kind of fostered my my love for kind of R&D and inventing. Oh, that's awesome. And then um th- yeah through the the textile program and polymer science I was very fortunate through you know Ron Sanderson and Edin Gerike to to basically go meet so in one aspect the father of um free surface electrospinning which is Prof Lucas in the Czech Republic. Oh wow. Very amazing very amazing person um and then also work under Prof. E.L. Zussman, who's also kind of the one of the fathers of electrospinning in general. Like him and Prof. Greiner published all the you know the the, the amazing papers um, that 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 you read today. Wow, you're very lucky <laughs> to have met yeah. all these wonderful people. And well, when you mentioned Prof. Mallon now, I I feel the same way. You you said like how he made polymers so approachable. It's like I hope he hears this because it's um it's really a f- affirmation from how how passionate he is about polymer science as well, um. But yeah, I'm very glad that you actually decided to continue studying because now look <laughs> look at what you're also bringing us. It's really awesome. But it's good to hear, and I think a lot of students will actually agree uh, that they also felt like this. You know, like whether they should be continuing studying or just find a job and you know try and make it work. Uh, I know I felt like that, you know, like when you are at the end of your BSc, how do you decide whether it's a good idea to continue or not? But luckily, I also had a few people that told me, you know, if you have the opportunity, why not just grab it? And especially if you have nothing specific in mind already, you know, you're still floating around finding yourself, then that opportunity doesn't come for everyone. So it's you, then great. Go for it. Definitely. And, and just, I think just, um, I think you can attest to this, just hats off to Stellenbosch University and the Department of Chemistry and Polymer Science. I think they really make it easy for good students to get funding and to um, have these amazing experiences. And I think it's also what you put in is what you get out. So if you get involved in all the activities, so like open days. Yeah, and that you, is very you know, true. You, you, you really get involved in, in things, uh, the, you know, you, you get rewarded for those. And um, and also the students, it's it's this beautiful collection of internationals and locals and locals from all over, um, you know, South Africa, but also you know Southern Africa. So we had a lot of guys from Zimbabwe and and others, and we had this really nice uh, group. Like especially in my honors masters year, um, I had a lot of fun with the guys, and and I think some of the students there are some of the most um, amazing people that are you know, in the world. So, so you've got, uh, one of my best buddies was Dr. Lebohang Aghlalele. He's probably the smartest guy I know. And, and I think, you know, at the time I was also maybe floating at the end of my BSc, but then seeing a guy like him do what he does. And I know he's in polymer science, so I should be a polymer science. So it <laughs> There's was, some um, sort of something yeah. in the water there with the polymer science yeah. building. Cause I agree with you. Like everybody 
comes in and goes out there is the best people. They're the kindest, like hardworking, um, just like supporting people I've met. Like this, it's true. They there's like a little community that forms there. Uh, what research did you go into or focus on for your postgraduate studies? Yeah, the um, the the I guess the uh, the title of my thesis I probably won't remember it word for word anymore. But um, essentially, I was making core shell uh, nanofibers out of a material called polylactic acid, which is a derivative of uh, cornstarch. Oh, right. And uh, essentially, the, this polylactic acid is is really nice. It's um, it's a biodegradable um, polyester, which essentially can break down in physiological medium to carbon dioxide and water ultimately. Uh, so talking about you know making composites that are environmentally friendly or things that you want to put in the body, um, if you break them down into um, into chemicals that bacteria or uh, tissues uh, can easily metabolize and get rid of, then then that's really good. Uh, so essentially, I was making these core shell nanofibers um, from a technique. Um, you, you, I think you might have spoken it already on one of your earlier podcasts, but uh, <laughs> so co- coaxial electrospinning is just a capillary and capillary or needle within a needle uh, technology, uh, where essentially um, you, you would just have, in my case, for these polylactic acid nanofibers, would be to have two miscible um, solutions. And miscible is just that um, it's not so like things like oil and water are, are not miscible. So they're hydrophobic, hydrophilic. So miscible is things that could uh, actually mix, but um, just managing the surface tension, they don't mix very readily. So if you're, if you're making a, a core shell nanofiber of miscible solutions, um, at the interface, they blend a little bit, which is really great for making composites because ultimately when these nanofibers um, get made into sheets, and you, you want to, for example, press them into composites. Uh, things um, like fiber-reinforced composites have got problems where sometimes the fiber can delaminate from the matrix. Mm. Whereas if you're on the nanoscale getting this really good um, interfacial blending of, of the two, um, call it phases, um, then you'll get a really strong composite. So essentially I was making these um, nanofibers such that if you heated them, below the softening point of the shell and below the melting point of the core, you could essentially melt the shells to make a matrix and a C, and then you would have these cores um, immersed into this, uh, into this C or matrix. So, so the core would form the, the fiber reinforcement of the shell, which is the matrix, which would essentially be uh, not melted, but yeah. I've worked with coaxial electric spinning um, but there's a lot of technical things that you need to prepare for like you said now and things you need to take into account and I feel like when I spoke about this briefly in one of my um, educational episodes there's too <laughs> yeah. much to go into in depth when I was at the CSIR in Pretoria there's this very fancy machine where you have all these um, slots for syringes and needles uh, already available for you so you can easily access that coaxial uh, setting but um, I just wanted to know, like, did you have to make your own setup for coaxial electrospinning? Yes. Because <laughs> I can't imagine that that was uh, available to yeah, you. Yeah, so, so the, the, the early days of it was um, what's really nice working as a student under Prof. Sanderson, or so the late Prof. Sanderson, and also being in, kind of working in the same space as Eugene Smith was that um, you, you had to kind of be very independent very quickly and... 
um, you, as you know, you, you, well, back then, sp- uh, specifically, this was like 20, what, when was this? 2007. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was... so, so there's no store-bought uh, coaxial electro spinning setup. Like these days you can buy, you can buy them online quite cheaply, but, but then, uh, you know, we had, I was working with the Libyan students and we were trying to build various prototypes and we did things, uh, with the glass blower. Uh, unsuccessfully <laughs> so Glassblower did very well but our design wasn't great so, so that didn't work and then uh, we, we tried things from chromatography type setups um, little sort of tube connectors and that wasn't very successful and then I was very fortunate then to go to the Technion in um, Israel under Prof El Zussman and kind of uh, really just learned from him how to with very very simple things make a coaxial electrospinning uh, setup so essentially it's basically taking um, <laughs> uh, one more syringes, uh, having um, hypodermic needles that you just you grind away to blunt the needle so you don't have a shock point. And then you just you have to play around with different um, gauges of these hypodermic needles. And then uh, you, essentially one more syringe where you put a one hypodermic needle and you put a much longer um, hypodermic needle for the inner one. So with your one more plastic syringe, you cut it off at some point and you stick the other hypodermic needle in the back to, and then you and then you and then you align them and and essentially it's the most cheap basic setup to make a coaxial electro spinning setup um a, a lot of the the art in it is more your your formulations so mm-hmm. if you pick your your solutions well and you you optimize the viscosity because essentially you need the shell to um basically shear the core um into the electro spinning jet if if there isn't enough shear forces, then basically you would either um, clip the the core and make little droplets along, mm. or it just wouldn't pull, and um, you would just be spinning the shell material. Um, and then also, if you prick the 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 materials poorly, um, you might precipitate it out and just block up your needle. Yeah. Um, so you just have a big mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yo, have you? Okay, this is gonna be just a very silly question, but have you uh, shocked yourself as well? <laughs> Uh, many times. Okay. Many, many times. <laughs> so it's not yeah. just me. Great to know. <laughs> I, I've got spectacular uh, stories of being shocked. Like, um, basically, we had these setups in these these old humids where they had um, some metallic components, and then the the hood had this um, bar that you lift the hood up and down with that was metallic. And basically, we were working with very high voltages, something like because um, when we're doing free surface electro spinning, it's a bit much different from needle. So needle, you're you're using like you maybe electric field strength of one kilovolt per centimeter, so maybe ten thousand volts over ten centimeters. Whereas with free service electro spinning, you're in the the range of like sixty to eighty thousand volts. So low current, so it's not gonna it's not necessarily gonna kill you very easily, but a very high voltage. And so what what happens when you've got such high charge is that everything charges up, including plastics. So it's essentially you're storing charge in these plastics and when they're next to metals you're basically building like a big capacitor and storing the charge there and then what happened was um i, I basically was very near to that and had been charging for the last like four hours and then um i, I had a charge jump from the fume hood to my glasses so i got shocked literally out of a gap of maybe about five centimeters jumped from the fume hood to my glasses that was that was probably the 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 scariest one, but um, I've been shocked many, many times. So at, at SNC, we we built electro spinning machines, and part of that was uh, yeah. getting your hands quite deep into um, you know 
we have engineers build equipment yes. and we have to test it and then uh, you, you know, you, you try your best to be safe. You ground everything. Yeah. You build Faraday You're cages. You're not going you... to go look for a shock. It's just, yeah. it's what but, part of the job. But at 80,000 volts, when plastics charge up and you, you don't anticipate when those things happen. Um, and actually, probably the, the worst charge that I probably got shocked on was, was more like um, charge built up on plastic surfaces rather than, you know, by the actual machine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, um, I feel like I'm immune to any electric shocks right now. Like, I really <laughs> you can't. become an X-Men. Yeah, it's like some sort of mutant power. But um, yeah, so my next question is, um, you originally, now after you've uh, finished your studies, you originally started working with the uh, Stellenbosch Nanofiber Company. Um, now, they're a very impressive nanofiber company that's um, working with medical devices and personal care products. And you were the R&D manager of a team there. And um, it was a very small company at the beginning. I remember maybe you were like 11 people, but I know it has grown a lot since then. So how was it working at the SNC company? Yeah, so, um, I mean, essentially, SNC was founded at the end of November 2011. Um, a spin out of Stellenbosch University, but you know it started even earlier than that. So I was working as a kind of a after my MSc. Um, I'd I'd been working for about just over a year as a contract researcher, trying to uh, help Eugene um, basically uh, develop the technologies uh, to kind of get to the point where we could um, find investors. Um, and even before that, you know, in my my MSc and even that first summer that I worked in Eugene's lab, the, 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 there was always um, his focus was to commercialize nanofiber technology. So he started with yarns, um, and then uh, he had a bubble spinning technology, and then uh, ultimately the the kind of the the core now is this ball spinning electron uh, ball electro spinning technology, oh, yeah. which you'll see on the website. Um, and uh, essentially, um, the company was founded uh, with three people. So it was Eugene, myself, and Donna Lee von Staden, who's, who's still there today as the, the quality manager. And, um, and yeah, we started as three uh, yeah, uh, time, f you know, we built first pilot scale machines, um, uh, developed lots of applications. And, and, and essentially, when you're when you've got this high throughput electrospinning technology and you can make these high surface area uh, materials for for anything really for from filtration to energy to personal care to medical tissue engineering um you know you you name it you you can if you if if something needs high surface uh, area um and something that you you don't want in a powder or like a brittle film um nanofibers can essentially be used for that yeah um so we, we we kind of um what was unique was starting off kind of as a scientist and then eventually as the company grew and you know as a startup you, you you start with a business plan and that changes many many times and eventually you figure out how do you make money as a, as a small business and uh, eventually we figured that out and uh, we got a really incredible team together um to, to the point where i think we were um when i left we were 28 full-time employees um, and then we had a post-production staff of around 30. So it wow. was about almost uh, 60 people on site at, at any one point. Um, and now I believe um, it's even more. Yeah, it's probably doubled <laughs> uh, in that time. Yeah, so um, I mean, that, that, that's a completely different story. But yeah, essentially being going from a, a, a really a, a scientist to, uh, we had the term a senior scientist. That means just sort of 
being the the, the kind of the main expert um, and then sort of having having a lot of new new people join the company and then eventually become R&D manager because there was just a need to to kind of um, have like a strategic um, yeah. management view in R&D and then uh, you know it was just brilliant we had a lot of the initial people that started with SNC stay quite long in the company so it was very easy um, to to kind of build this, um, I, I we we never liked the word hierarchy, but you know just a simplified term of of using the word hierarchy is just we had a very easy way of building that because we had such good people. Yeah. And um, you know, uh, being an R and D manager was was great in the sense we we started not in the medical field and then we became in the medical field, which required us to learn um, a lot of the quality management um, systems. So. Uh, we were, uh, uh, well, SNC is an ISO 13485, 9001, and 22716 um, compliant company. So the quality management system certified according to those standards. And then you do R&D uh, within that. So there's a lot of really good, robust um, philosophies in those standards for building um, really robust and uh, yeah, really good products and, uh, you know, ensuring... Uh, traceability and uh, yeah uh, so it was it was quite nice we, we didn't have ISO and then we had to do it quickly so us as a, a really young team I mean most of the employees were like under 30 and we had to build this quality management system and we had to make all our products comply with that we we had also a really amazing person join the company uh, called Morris Kaleski who was an operations person um, industrial engineering background and he basically um, built this project management philosophy in the company that made us uh, really efficient at stage getting projects and um, kind of there's this term called flow or projects making fro- uh, projects and tasks flow very well through the company. I, I just want to tell you something like I really take my hat off to people that are starting their own businesses um, because it's not just a question of bringing your expertise to the tables it's about also learning new skills in such a short time because you are literally limited on what you know and uh, your company will suffer for it if you don't learn what you need to know that is really something yeah. i can appreciate um i haven't really experienced it myself but i can imagine like having this passion and then having having to try and put it into an actual thought and then bringing it to life it must be a big dedication and a lot of sacrifice for your time and your family's time and you know just your mental health as well, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, but but again, it's um, I think a business is just people, right? Yeah. And if you've got good good people, um, it's you know you have ups and downs like anything. But you've got good people around you, um, then then it's it's not so bad. And I was also very fortunate. I I didn't really have a family in the beginning, so it was easy to put in many many hours and and not really worry about that. And and it was fun, you know. Um, uh, we we were building uh, machines, and and you know, at, at that time, I think we we were making the 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 most. We we were throwing like buckets of nanofibers away, kind of thing, you know. And and people were crying um, if they didn't get their little ten by ten <laughs> centimeter nanofiber sample. So it was um, it, it was it was pretty cool to to be um, in a space. We were also co-located with an engineering company, so. Having a good team of engineers together with scientists is a great combination. Yeah, and so um, yeah, Eugene was also bashing down doors with with customers, and uh, you, you know it was so fun being part of a company where 
you know, from the scientists to whoever, you were doing many different things. So, yeah. uh, you know, you would have a client call and then go to the lab to, um, to, to spin and then you would be involved in like maybe some marketing thing or, you know, quality management or, you know, cleaning the, the clean lab. Sometimes you, even as a, as a manager, I would, you know, go in and clean the clean lab, which is just what you do in a, a small company. You know? That's awesome. Yeah, like putting your weight on like everything. Yeah. That's awesome. Exactly. It must be actually nice. I think that's the type of job that I'd appreciate more since, you know, you're being like challenged the whole time and you get more versatile and you don't really get stagnant or like do the same thing, yeah. eight to five, just the same yeah. routine. <laughs> that's awesome. Definitely. Um, so then you got the uh, opportunity to move to Finland and then work with the Nordic Biotech Group. Now, I just need to know on behalf of everybody, because that sounds like such a huge decision to make. So how did you make that decision to move to Finland and join the Nordic Biotech Group? <laughs> so it's possible, but don't immigrate with a seven-month-old um, baby during a pandemic. Oh, it's, no. It's not very, it's not, it's not advised. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, um, not the ideal situation. No. But uh, it was, you know, it's fine. And um, I think you spoke about it on your previous podcast. Um, I think Lisa Fontaine was speaking about this imposter syndrome. I think, um, you know, as a South African, you, you, you're not sure if you can do it and, you know, uh, what your worth is. And then you, you just realize South Africans are incredibly adaptive mm -hmm. and culturally we're, we fit in pretty much anywhere because um, South Africa is so culturally diverse and you, you, you learn how to deal with lots of people and, and speak to people. Um, and I, I think uh, a lot of the world can learn from us, I think. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. amazing. I really agree with you. You took the words out of my mouth. I really believe we are very adaptive. Uh, a job popped up on LinkedIn, which was um, scarily matching all my skill set to T. It was kind of like advertised as startup company, uh, textile background, ISO background, medical device it's background. Like they were asking um, for you. <laughs> yeah, adaptive. Uh, so, awesome. so, so it it really it lined. And then, luckily, my wife Helen, um, uh, she'd been to Finland twice before, so she knew um, uh, the country very well, and she she really loved it. Uh, so it wasn't like we we said we're moving to Finland. It was this job popped up and it was in Finland. Um, so it, it was one of those, um, you know, moving for an opportunity, not just you know fleeing, you know, not not just trying to get away. So it was a it was a solid opportunity and. Um, yeah, yeah, that's the um, thing. Like people, I think um, these days are very sensitive of like immigrating or, or or talking about immigration because I think mostly when you say I'm going to immigrate. People assuming that you're fleeing or you're like uh, running away from, you know, something or having issues with your country. But I think yeah. nine out of ten times is just because of the opportunity that and the, the, the area of growth that you can like um, experience and gain more skills. Yeah. And look, it's an, it's an adventure. I think more than anything else is, um, I mean, you know, our daughter was quite young. So it's it's like if there was a time to to make a change uh, she's not you know at the, the time she wasn't talking uh, so it was uh, quite easy for her to yes and you don't yeah. have to take her out of school or anything like that to disrupt her or anything yeah that's true um i know there's a lot of postgraduate uh, researchers and students and um you know young people in scientific careers that is considering immigrating um 
some with family, some away from family. Uh, how would you give them advice on how to approach this decision? And w- what are the things that you would tell them to avoid besides not moving with a seven-month-old? <laughs> how, how would you um, advise them to go about uh, immigrating or what should they look out for when they make their move? Well, so it's first just the decision. Um, I think your decision needs to be um, strategic. So, oh, yes. you know, not just say I'm going to move because of whatever. Because again, I said you, you, you never, if you've got problems in South Africa, it's it's probably not necessarily just the country you know, or, or something going on there. It's, you know, got to look towards yourself. So um, first, what is your reason for moving? Get that solidly worked out. And then what's nice is if you do that out of emotion, you can always come back to that same reason and you're happy with your decision. So first, make a good decision that this is what you want to do because it's tough, you know, being away from things you know. And I mean, South Africans, were adaptive and, um, you know, we can fit in pretty much everywhere. But it's tough being away from family and, and things you know and things like that. Um, so your your motivation for going needs to be strong and you always need to, when you do go over and there are tough times and there will be, uh, you, you can go back to that main decision. So that's kind of the first point. And then um, my my one of my best friends, a guy, Richard Braithwaite, he, he's got this great quote. He says, always position yourself uh, to have the most opportunities. So, and that's not necessarily abroad. You know, in South Africa, um, there, there are lots of government grants for doing R&D, for starting companies, developing and growing businesses. Um, you've got a huge pool of scientists that are not being, uh, you know, expected to be paid in euros and dollars. Um, very well educated and um, and v- very smart. Um, and so, if you've got good opportunities in South Africa, then there's no yeah. there's no necessarily to, to move and stuff. Um, yes. But if you do have more opportunities to, and if you position yourself somewhere abroad to have more opportunities, then 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 that's good. So yeah. Um, so, I think that's also just like good advice in general for when you're picking a field of study, you know, yeah. not to like lock yourself up into one little yeah. specialized field. Yeah. And then, uh, so just to then uh, sort of just the the things to make it easier is, um, yeah, South African home affairs is a bit slow. Um, everybody knows that. So, um, and I think now with COVID and queues and um, uh, things like that, it's it's quite problematic. So. If you are considering it, get ahead of your documentation. So if you if you've got the green mamba, the South African passport, uh, <laughs> and you want and you want to move somewhere where it's it's not like, um, yeah, well, m- most places where where I think you know people are considering pursuing you know study, you would need some kind of a a, a visa. Um, so you would need a you know uh, in in Europe you need a, a temporary residence permit in order to come and work here. And to do that, you need lots of documents from Home Affairs. Um, I mean, I can if somebody wants to contact me offline, I'll, I'll I'll tell you what documents you need and what processes and and little tricks and companies to to help you with that process. Oh, but it, just get ahead of your documentation because sometimes it can take months, if not even a year, to get like uh, unabridged marriage certificates, for example. Uh, so I'd be happy happy to help anybody offline if they want to contact me for any. Oh, that's very about kind. That. And it's it's not cheap. So um, even even if you've got something lined up on that side, you, you still might have like a month before you get paid, and you, you're converting like to the euro nineteen to almost twenty rand sometimes um, to the euro. So so one thing is people think oh, I'm just gonna get over. So start saving. It's um, not only is your your plane tickets not the only thing you need. You need 
you need some um you know insurance uh, to bridge you you need to um have accommodation you need to buy groceries and um you know yeah, the whole cost uh, it, of living and, and not not every country is um the same so uh, like for example in the nordics they're much more expensive than some of the other european countries so you didn't have any language barriers uh, when you got to finland or oh, most of your people speak english in the company yeah so the um both helen and i our jobs the 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 business language is english um because finland's only five million people so of course they need to interact with the rest of uh, europe and the world so english is a business language and um it, you know the finns are incredibly well educated so most of them speak uh, two sometimes three languages and uh, you know they they learn english um i, I believe uh in high school so most of the people we interact with in supermarkets you know can speak english which is good and bad so i i speak english at work i speak english in the shops um uh you know sometimes in the shop you need to pull out your cell phone and get google translate to you know use the camera to translate the the text um and and we've got these apps like duolingo you know we're trying to learn the language but um uh, a lot of these courses where you can Uh, learn the language or or during the day which is a bit problematic from a work front so we we're trying to find some online courses we can maybe do uh, in the evening once our daughter's gone to bed uh, you know something like that but finish that is a, a little bit like afrikaans isn't it oh no <laughs> so in finland the majority of the population speaks uh, finnish but i think it's something like 10% speak swedish so they've got two uh, national oh, languages okay. so they speak finnish and swedish Swedish is quite Germanic so very similar to Afrikaans but Finnish is more like um similar to Estonian and I believe like Hungarian so um good in the sense that um the the words are uh, like as you read them is is how you pronounce them but bad in that there's very little relation to English or Afrikaans <laughs> so wow But uh, okay, so just to get into it, uh, the Nordic biotech company that you work for, um, they have Nordshield, which is like a multi-purpose product. Can you tell me a bit more about Nordshield and what that is? Yeah, so so Nordshield um, is a brand uh, for the the core technology, which is as you correctly said, it's used across many different uh, products and product spaces. Um, so. uh this core technology was um developed after basically a decade of of r&d um by our, our our sort of principal inventor uh Kari Halopainen um and the, the company was founded in uh 2016 and uh basically when i started the 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 company there was a lot of these formulations that had been developed if you know there's international patents pending um so a lot of the core r&d had already been done It's a bit different from from my background when I was involved from scratch, so it was interesting. So that's why my title is actually application development manager. So um, I'm basically uh, finding homes for this technology um, in different spaces. So uh, a lot of the technology has been developed, so to speak, but um, there's obviously a lot of regulatory um, t- technical file information that has to be developed, and then of course, um, just as an example, like we do these. Uh, textile treatment products and obviously we've proved it on uh, you know that it works on textiles but every customer's got their own unique textile and their own unique equipment oh. that we have to make sure that we verify and validate our technology on their you know on their product uh so 
so essentially um the the, the company is uh, yeah I kind of call it the mission or the philosophy is that we're harnessing the power of nature so our our core technology is um a side stream um or call it byproduct from the the forestry industry so what's nice is it's a natural sustainable uh, technology and uh what we try to do across all products is sort of include this naturality sustainability um view on all product development so making sure that it's uh not harmful for humans or for nature um so so we're kind of really kind of positioned directly against um these harmful we're trying to disrupt really harmful biocide uh, products and yeah, industries like yeah. common disinfectants yes. exactly so um that you've mentioned like the strategy but like how you develop this multi-purpose product but how big is your team sure so we're um officially nine full-time employees so it's quite a small company okay. but oh that's nice yeah but actually with um many so probably yeah uh, maybe a hundred uh, full-time equivalent outsource functions so for example uh essentially we've got a core team with uh you know quite critical expertise um to to develop these products um but then you know for example um manufacturing is 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 something that we we outsource um so we control the quality management of that but um we don't have a manufacturing plant so to speak we've got labs where we can do all sorts of tests um but uh yeah the manufacturing is something that we will uh, outsource and um yeah so we've got labs and offices in Espo in Finland so this is in southern Finland uh, just kind of if you're looking at the map uh, just a bit of, a little bit left of uh, Helsinki uh, which is the, the capital oh. <laughs> and uh, yeah we make use of various kinds of critical suppliers all across Europe and um, yeah it, what's what's nice is where we, we are manufacturing in Finland and we're we're doing a lot of the the, the, the quality uh, work um, in, in the EU wow um so okay so i just want to make sure i'm not sure if you're allowed to answer this but north shield what does it consist of like the chemical composition or what makes it a natural product so um yeah so obviously i can't delve too much into the the ingredients themselves but um right. you know, uh, people can go go on, online and have a look at our inter- international patent um applications um but, but essentially a lot of what we do with the technology is to basically get a uniform uh, layer of our active ingredients onto surfaces uh where they're effective against microbes and and um and viruses so essentially we've got a core technology of these active ingredients which are extracted from the the forestry industry um so un- unmodified so it's not like we we go and take these and we we you know what some some uh, companies do is they they would take a natural ingredient and react it with like a quaternary ammonium compound and then it's no longer natural mm. so so it's, yeah but then they still can claim that there is a natural ingredient incorporated correct so so i mean uh we 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 focus on on those active which are from nature and then uh with with a formulation component where we will use other uh non-harmful chemicals um as auxiliary chemicals to ensure that we get this uniform coating so without going into too much detail you know formulations need um chemicals to wet surfaces to uh balance the pH um so it's just a, a com- combination of trying to ensure that you're 
using really um, safe chemicals and at the right concentration. So looking at, you know, um, daily allowable limits and, and safety. And so we do f f comprehensive risk analysis um, on all our uh, products and we, we also do, uh, you know, toxicology and, and all of those kinds of assessments and screenings. Um, so, so essentially we, we've got a core technology which allows us to make these uniform films on surfaces. Um, it's an ultra thin film which, with his, which has got these, um, these antimicrobial properties. And uh, obviously each product type or category has got its own product specific requirements, regulatory requirements. So you, you formulate according to what's needed there. Yeah, that actually brings me to my next question. Because um, you've mentioned now that it can be used on surfaces. But what are the various applications that it can be used for? Yeah, so it's, it's also one of these nice problems to have. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, you've got this, this great um, performance efficacy against uh, microbes and viruses. Um, and you've also got it's a sustainable and, and safe product. Uh, so you can use it effectively everywhere. So uh, really being focused on a product development pipeline that, um, you know, you, you try to do your your best bang for buck, uh, you know, products first and make sure you manage your resources effectively. So you can't do everything, but mm. we do have key focus areas. Um, we've got kind of uh, groupings of um, technologies. We, we call them, uh, say, Nordshield Fiber, which is... Uh, fiber treatments for the consumer textile market. Then we've got Nordshield uh, Medical, which is uh, medical devices. And this also includes fiber treatments, but for the uh, medical device uh, market, but then also things like wound salves. Um, and um, yeah, so, okay. and then we do have a couple of others in the development area on the, the medical side, but I can't talk too much about that. And then uh, we've got also what, what we're calling Nordshield Clear, which are basically formulations for uh, cosmetics as well as uh, veterinary um, yeah, oh, veterinary right. industry. Wow, I didn't even know about that. So we also have now um, within the cosmetics uh, side there, there's these disinfectant sprays. So essentially we're, um, we're developing all these products under the ISO 13485 and 9001 umbrella. And what's, what's quite nice is these disinfectant sprays are already on the market, but then um, all the other products are kind of really... Um, mature in the the product development phase in, in terms of validation so we're in the clinical trial uh, sort of phase or entering mm -hmm. that for some of our medical products and then for the textile products we're in pilot phase with many customers uh, we will actually see um, especially for the the, um, the the consumer textile treatments uh, we'll actually have products coming to market um, in December which is so, so our, our product is on the market, but products treated with our product will be on the market in, in December. So, so for Christmas. So, so it'll be great. Yeah. All right. So you're kind of taking over the show and, and, and incorporating natural disinfectant into company products that's usually uh, had to de depend on other types of disinfectants, which wasn't natural, yeah. safe to use. Do you have your own little like, um, uh, certified or logo that you put onto these companies' brands just to indicate that you're also... Um, you know, exactly. bringing your side. That's awesome. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, so, so we we have kind of a co-branding uh, view where it's kind of like Nordshield inside. So there's um, you know, it, it's it's good, it's good from I think both companies' point of view. If you've got the strong brand to indicate you've got this natural, sustainable antimicrobial technology there. So we we, we try to look for co-branding uh, models, 
and and also not just with with every company you know like-minded companies who are also looking to reduce um carbon footprint and to um, promote this kind of circular economy um and yeah so we essentially um i mean we can talk about all the products but i think the uh, the, the one that's kind of our main uh, focus here at the moment is those these textile treatments both medical and consumer and essentially we make a, a concentrate of this in finland and then we we um we would move this well to would ship this to our customers where where they would have some kind of a textile finishing company um we can essentially apply this in t- uh, traditional textile um finishing equipment like uh, dip dry equipment so this could be a, a pad with a fullard roller um where you essentially have a fabric you know dipping into a bath being squeezed out and then dried or potentially in a knitting you know if you've got a, a weave then the the kind of continuous fullard method or the pad dries is sort of most optimum right. or if you're going to knit you know uh, for uh, jigs which is essentially rolls which um immerse a fabric onto another roll and that you could do multiple passes back and forth that's more like a batch wise all the way to a garment level so you don't necessarily need to just treat fabrics you can also treat garments so essentially we make a concentrate ship it to a textile finishing company and then they would dilute it into a working solution which is quite dilute actually so just just give an idea it's um roughly you know 2 to 4 weight percent of our concentrate in in water so a really low amount gets added to the textile that's why we've got this really ultra thin film which forms on textiles which uh, virtually doesn't change the the textile properties that's perfect so that's literally the amount that you need for mm, it to be effective correct yeah so you're saying that um you can actually well physically if if a a shop or a company produces uh, garments like say okay cape union mart or something where they have hiking clothes can they physically then sign up with you and have their clothes treated and you know exposed to an Orchilles product? Yeah, so we, um, I think the most ideal case for the technology would be to treat in the fabric form. The the, the one thing to to ensure is that our technology is the the final treatment on the textile, oh, right. um, so that you have this ultra thin antimicrobial layer at the surface. So, for example, you wouldn't want to do this on the, the fiber level because uh, fibers need to undergo uh, sizing to prote- to protect them through weaving, for example. I see. And then you might, on top of that, um, for example, bleach, and then you might um, do dyeing and then uh, f- add flame retardants. So you, we don't want our technology to be masked by those. Yeah. So So essentially, from fabric level all the way to garment, we can treat. And it just depends on who the brands are and what their infrastructure is. So we're also working with industrial um, uh, laundering companies to see how we can, you know, as you said, once the, the garment's already manufactured, how do you uh, apply to the finished garment yeah. that's already in circulation? So, um, but essentially anywhere, any process whereby you can dip your textile into a working solution of our material and dry it, um, then you can essentially uh, use that to um, apply Nord Shield to a, to a fabric. Yeah. 
I'm just thinking about like the pandemic now and like how COVID-19 has prevented a lot of people to import and export. And if you have something like this, where you, you can guarantee that if this is exposed to Nord Shield, then you will definitely at least be, um, you know, COVID-19 free. So then I can export or import whatever yeah. I need to do, you know. Um, this is just, it sounds like a solution in general, just for a company, even if it's just a temporary disinfectant for your produce that needs to be exported. Yeah, and, and what's also great is we, we've shown quite broad spectrum efficacy against a range of different uh, gram-positive, gram-negative bacteria, uh, fungi, mold, and obviously enveloped viruses, uh, which is, you know, the coronavirus uh, fits into that category. Um, so we also have uh, another textile product, which, you, you know, eventually, I mean, COVID will hopefully soon uh, will disappear. But what's what's good is to have broad spectrum because there, you know, even before COVID, there were there are other problems which um, cost money and are bad for the environment. So like um, just one thing like mold and shipping uh, to to manage mold. Um, so jeans, for example, they they wash them before they ship them and they're starched. And if you've got starch, water, and heat, it's not a question of if, but it's like when uh, mold will grow. So. Apparently, five to ten percent of all denims uh, that are shipped, um, specifically from like a warmer climates like uh, in Asia, um, get just discarded, or um, they have to use uh, a lot of these um, desiccant uh, sachets, which essentially mean that, that gets thrown away. So really bad for the environment. Oh yes. Um, so problems like that are things we're also are addressing. So so that's it's, it's not just. I mean, COVID is obviously hot on everybody's. Uh, topics, but then there's also other types of hospital acquired infections that are also quite concerning. Um, and then you know, I, I think that the the biggest thing that people might not think about now is the fallout after COVID environmentally. So people are haphazardly using really toxic chemicals. Um, they're also using a lot of disposables. So um, you know. Just products that are reusable are going to be key and products that are not damaging to the environment or by accumulating are going to be quite key. So a lot mm. of these silver products um, and a lot of these other disinfectant products are, you know, people are not thinking about the environment now, but uh, soon, you know, the fallout from COVID is going to be very real. Um, yeah, this, it's not sustainable. Yeah, we can't like do this type of treatment for every pandemic or any like for dur longer duration of time. Yeah, no, but that's what I was so excited to talk to you about Nord Shield specifically as well, because it seems like a very um, environmentally friendly a natural, biologically safe material. And I'm, I'm really impressed about how versatile it is, actually. And I know sometimes you say something's versatile, but this really seems like it can be used on the surface of planes when traveling, especially now during the pandemic, just to make people feel safe. And it's, it's long-lasting, you know? It's like, I, I just want to make sure, like, if you put this on, like, the surface of, let's say, the inside of a school bus or the, the surface area of the inside of a plane, um, how long does it last when you put that layer of um, Nord Shield on the surface? So it may be just speaking exclusively to the textile applications. Um, so also well, not just garments. So like if you're looking at, um, you know, textiles, uh, broad spectrum for like maybe upholstery or, um, you know, pillows and sheets, um, you know, uh, just anywhere where you would maybe have a textile in a public space where you you were worried about some mm -hmm. microbes, um, is is essentially 
on a consumer level where you would want the product. Um, but then obviously there's medical is quite obvious in hospital acquired infections. But when you're telling me now, I'm thinking about doctor's appointment rooms and all that yeah. stuff as well. So essentially we've shown on textiles, um, you know, w what we quote as 30 times wash durability, but uh, we've seen uh, for some microbes up to 50 times where, where you don't have or have very little um, efficacy loss. So you, you retain like 90% of the performance of, of the coating, um, nice. you know, and in, in some cases looking at like uniforms, you know, most people wouldn't wash uniforms more than 50 times before they discard them. So if you've got something like a 30 times or 50 times, then that, that's, um, it's most of the regulatory authorities acknowledge say 30 or 50 times as a, as a good durability. Wow. That's really awesome. So, um, I just want to know, because it sounds like such an amazing product. Is there any limitations to Nordshield? <laughs> so so I, I should say no, right? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> that will be the correct answer. <laughs> um, so I, I think I've touched on something already. So um, I think, um, you know, it's, it's a workable limitation. And perhaps in the future, we will completely work around that. But uh, our, our technology needs to be the most terminal treatment on the fabric. Um, sometimes textile manufacturers don't like that. They like to add all the chemicals in one dying step, for example, and treat everything at once. So that's for cost savings and, and other reasons. But um, maybe that could be seen as a, a limitation is that we have to be the terminal uh, treatment on a textile. Um, and then uh, also the fact that it's better for us to treat textiles and, and garments uh, rather than on, on the yarn or the fiber side. Uh, because and and what this is kind of a strength and a and and maybe a weakness but a strength because we don't have to add so much chemical you know it's all on the surface so you, you don't have to yeah for example a lot of these silver technologies they embed them into um fibers for wash uh, durability because otherwise well and they do anyway but they they leach out but then you've got all these actives stuck into the the fibers so you overload the fiber with this really harmful technology and uh, then ultimately it ends up in landfill and then it's it's bad you know it accumulates in the environment so um now nah, i think the limitations that you are mentioning doesn't even sound close to the the problems we have with the disinfectants we currently use that comes in contact with our skin and we don't even realize how harmful it can be so I think I've taken up more than I um, initially thought I was going to take up your time. I'm so sorry. No, Thank I'm you happy. for yeah, granting me so much time. Um, but before we uh, end, end off, I just want to make sure, is there anything uh, in your future plans or um, upcoming seminars or anything that you want the people to know about that they can maybe join in or uh, check you out on? And learn more about Nordshield? Sure. So um, I, I think on our website, uh, we've got a revamped website. Um, so nordshield.com. Uh, a lot of information about us is there. But then specifically on our LinkedIn page, uh, that there are a lot of um, sort of initiatives that have been taken. So we're, we're also talking to EU uh, authorities to offer our technology for free to help with some of the... Uh, yeah, the movements to fight the pandemic. So it's just the question oh, of nice. authorities picking this up and, and running with it. So there's a lot of initiatives like that. Um, so on a LinkedIn page, anything in the news or, um, you know, uh, <laughs> don't be braggy, there's award ceremonies there that you can follow and, uh, you know, lots of uh, nice things. I'll put any links that you've mentioned now um, also in the show notes for anybody who wants to uh, check them out. They can 
find them in the show notes. It will be um, uh, just linked to the LinkedIn website and also your revamped website. Yeah, everything we everything we do is there. Well, that was really good to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I feel like I can keep talking to you for another hour. There are so many questions I have about this product and also just how it is to work in Finland. <laughs> but thank you so much for everything. Uh, thank you. Um, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, th- thanks so much. This is a great <laughs> podcast and keep it up. Thank you.